Well, good morning. Let me also say uh, happy Mother's Day to those of you in the room. My name is uh, Dave Davis. If you're a guest with us, uh, Ray Kolbacher, our senior pastor, is uh, celebrating the graduation of his youngest son from college uh, this weekend. So he is there, and I am here with you. You ready? <laughs> if, uh, if you haven't been with us for the entirety of this series, we are in a study of the book of 1 Peter that we have called Aliens. Because Peter, in his book, challenges us to live a life that is alien-like, to live a life that stands out, that is impactful, and people may look at it as different or weird. We are to make a difference in the world. And last week, Glenn did a fantastic job of talking through the first 10 verses of chapter 4, very difficult passage on suffering. And, and next week, Ray's going to return and talk about another passage that deals with the idea of suffering. But Peter sandwiches in between these, very, these two very heavy passages of Scripture on the idea of suffering. He, he, he tosses in this um, few verses, starting with verse 11, 7 and going to verse 11, that brings tremendous hope. That in light of the suffering that is sandwiched these two, uh, these passages of Scripture, in light of the suffering... This is how we should live our lives. And that is what Peter talks about in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Before we dive into that, I'd like to pray. And if you wouldn't mind joining me, let's bow our heads and we'll pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that in the midst of stress and of issues of life that you provide us hope. God, we're thankful for our moms, for the love and for the admiration and for the compassion that they have given over the years. But God, I also know that in a, in a room like this, there are some that maybe this is the first Mother's Day without their mom. And so we pray for an extra sense of hope and peace as, as they grieve the loss of their parent. And maybe even there are some in our midst who have struggled today because they've not a mom and they'd like to be one. And for them, we pray an extra measure of your hope and peace as well. That you would give them encouragement today. That you love them unconditionally and intensely. And now, God, as we dive into your scripture, we ask that you would give us a new understanding, a new glimpse into you and your love for us and your desire for how we should live. We give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 7. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The passage starts out, the end of all things is near. That is a fantastically uplifting Mother's Day passage of Scripture. (laughs) The end is near. The sky is falling. Run for the hills. So optimistic, but so incredibly true and relevant for today. In its relevance, it presents a question. Peter wrote those words 2,000 years ago. And now we read the words that he wrote 2,000 years later. And it begs the question, how long is long? How soon is soon? As we read the New Testament, John the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, and Peter, in all of their writings, they talk about the end days. They talk about the imminent coming of Christ. In fact, Jesus, as he closes out Scripture in the book of Revelation, some of the very last words in the book of Revelation are from Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. How soon? Second Peter puts it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. The message of the imminent return of Jesus should motivate us to live a life that is worthy of that experience. But throughout history, Christianity has made errors in this concept. We've made the coming of Christ into a bit of a punchline. Think about it. When you see someone proclaiming the message, either in the world of fiction or on the street corners of life, What is the characteristic that comes to mind? When you see somebody wearing nothing but a sandwich board saying the end is near, what is the image that comes to mind? Crazy or hateful. It's the crazy person wearing that sandwich board on the street corner. Or it's a hate-filled bigot marching against the homosexual community. Whatever it is, we've made the return of Christ into something other than what it should be because it should be a motivator and a reminder of the life we are designed to lead, a life of impact. And here's what I want you to know about this verse before before we get into the rest of the text. The term in days is technically to describe from the first return of Christ in Bethlehem as a baby all the way until the second coming of Christ. So technically, we are living in the last days. Christ's return is imminent. 
all of human history. This is the very last part. We are living in the last days. The knowledge that the return of Christ is upon us should impact the way we live our lives. So let's look at what comes next because Peter throws in a word there that's really critically important to when you read Scripture. He says, therefore be. In, he's saying, in light of the current cultural realities, live your life with a heightened sense of eternal values. The end is near, therefore live a life like this. The end is near. So make the following things part of your value system. The question Peter is asking and that I am asking of us today is this. Whether we have one tomorrow or a thousand tomorrows, how should we live? Well, Peter takes the next few verses to challenge us in the way we live. He's pushing us to pray, to love, and to serve. Peter is commanding us to do these things in a big way, in such a way that people will think of us as weird or different or alien. So let's look at the first one. Therefore, in verse 7, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can what? Pray. So that you can pray more. Be alert, sober, and prayerful. If I were to tell you today that you've got two weeks to live and you were to believe me in that statement, it would incite in you a bit of panic initially. I've seen that panic look many times in the course of my life. It's almost always when I'm driving and it's almost always by the person sitting in the passenger seat. Just this last week, we were in Chicago as a pastoral staff doing some planning and some praying and some, some strategizing. And so we were navigating through the streets of Chicago. And one of my colleagues, Pastor Chuck Howard, was sitting in the passenger seat next to me. And there were several white knuckle experiences for him. And I looked over as he's gripping the dash and noticed that look of panic in his face. And Peter is saying here, listen, the end is near, but don't panic. Be of sober mind. And do the only thing you can do, pray. Don't panic, pray. You want to live your life like there's no tomorrow? Pray more. Prayer is one of those things that we don't talk about enough. We don't do enough. And I think that's because over the course of our Christian experience, over our, our journey with God, we lose passion for the concept of prayer. Now, I remember in the early days of my faith, prayer was a core, central element to my growth. But over time, that passion has eroded. You know, some Friday or Saturday night, you should go to a crowded restaurant and just stand in the middle of the restaurant. Well, that's weird. You're not in the middle of the restaurant, but stand in the doorway and look around you. Look at the couples at the tables. You will clearly be able to identify those that are dating and those that are married. <laughs> the ones that are dating are actively engaged in conversation. There's a wooing that's taking place. There's a sympathetic nod and the smile and the, re and the clarifying question. 
And then there's those that are married, and they are not doing any of those things. They've lost the passion on some level. And that is true of our relationship with Christ. Over time, we lose that sense, that desire for intimacy with him that comes through prayer. But we need to regain it. Peter is saying to each of us, you have less tomorrows than you had yesterday, so pray more. Stay focused. As the sun begins to set on our lives, what will sustain us is prayer. Why is this important? Because what Scripture commands of us next requires it. What the remaining verses in, 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 in 1 Peter describe for us require prayer, and it requires prayer at an extreme level. Because the passage next says that we are to love each other earnestly. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We are to be people who love. Throughout Scripture, love has been the identifying characteristic of Christians. It is the thing that we are to be known for. But Peter says in his sort of radical way, he says, love deeply. That word could also be translated to be fervently. Love fervently. And the idea behind the word fervent is like a thoroughbred horse in full gallop with every muscle and every fiber of its being stretched out. It's also used to describe an athlete who leaves everything he or she has on the field. That's the love that Peter is describing for you and I to express on a daily basis. It's a strenuous experience. Fervent love. Love deeply. When you love people, you give it all you've got. You hold nothing back. Why? Why is this so critical? Because in the balance of that verse, because love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, when we offend each other, it's love that restores that relationship. When we wound each other, it's love that restores that relationship. When we sin, it's love that restores that relationship to Christ. Love is a powerful thing. It has the ability to cover a multitude, a myriad of sins. That's why we're to do it strenuously, fervently, deeply. If that wasn't enough, Peter also includes the phrase, above all. It speaks to the authority and priority given to loving each other. It's especially true in the light of a pending return of Christ. The interesting thing about this whole Christian experience is that I can live my life with an ever-increasing knowledge of Scripture, consistent church attendance, and tax returns that reflect my generosity towards the church and the poor around me. 
But if I have not love, none of that matters. It is all valueless. You see, love isn't supposed to, th- to be one of the things that the church does well. It's supposed to be the thing the church does well. Where love is the thing, all the other stuff that we worry about, all the other stuff that we complain about, all the other stuff that irritates us fades away. Conversely, when love is missing, judgment and criticism and a lack of belief develops. And that's not good. See, Peter's writing this letter to a multitude of churches all over Asia Minor, all over current-day Turkey. And he's saying, when you love radically and genuinely, people will notice. They will think we are attractively weird. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis, author and Christian thinker, describes it this way. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket of your own selfishness. There it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Love deeply. Love deeply. So Peter moves on, and he challenges us in another way. In verse 9, he says, Offer hospitality to, to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality without grumbling. The word hospitable here literally means to love the stranger. It's where we get the word hospital. And in this verse, the phrase one another means that we should be hospitable to everyone. Not just those who are lovable, not just to those we like, not just to those that are convenient to us, but everybody. You see, in Peter's day, it was, weren't a lot of hotels, places for people to stay. And so when someone was traveling through a community, maybe it was a stranger or maybe it was a pastor moving from church to church, they would find their way to the center of the town with the hopes that someone would invite them to their house for a meal or for a place to sleep. If you lived on a travel route, it wouldn't have been an uncommon experience for someone to knock on your door and say, may I eat with you? Can I stay in your house? And so when Peter addresses the idea of hospitality, it's in that context that he teaches and that he writes. The home was more than just a shelter for the family. It was a tool of ministry. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 records Jesus' own words, and he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Hear me when I say this. I would argue that hospitality may be the single most effective bridge between the believing community and the unbelieving community that God ever orchestrated for his people. I believe wholeheartedly 
That this simple invitation of you to someone else to enter into your home for a cup of tea or a sporting event or whatever builds a bridge to a hurt, lost, and dying world. But we make so many excuses, don't we? My house is too small. It's too dirty. I don't have time. These are all excuses. They're rooted in our own insecurity and our own fear, to which I have very little to say to you other than get over it. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's about showing love, showing hospitality, and communicating to someone else the love and hospitality of Christ. This is something we all have to get better at doing. As in Peter's time, we need to be more hospitable to the people in our community. And then, as now, hospitality can be frustrating. It can be expensive. It can be time-consuming. But fortunately, Peter says, yeah, do it, uh, but don't do it while you're grumbling. Don't grumble about it. Make sure that when people leave your house, they are feeling loved and cherished and valued by God. So I'm asking you, how fervent is your love? Are you able to show hospitality without grumbling? Begin with your own personal relationships. Maybe it's your wife or your husband or your kids. Are you able to show them hospitality without grumbling? And now widen the circle to your neighborhood, to your neighbor, to your boss, to your coworkers. Are you able to show hospitality without grumbling? Grumbling, the Greek word for grumbling used here is gangudzo. It's an onomatopoetic word. Are you impressed with that? <laughs> I practiced onomatopoetic. It literally sounds like what you're doing. Gangudzo. I'm grumbling. Just yesterday, with this passage of Scripture firmly implanted in my heart, my wife, who I've described to you as an extrovert, who is married to an introvert who has learned to be extroverted, comes to me while I am comfortably planted in my chair, which should have been a message, don't mess with me right now, (laughs) says, the neighbors have invited some new people to their house. Let's go meet them. (laughs) I'm not doing that, I said. Oh, yes, you are doing that. (laughs) All right but I'm not going to like it. And so all the way across the street, I'm grumbling all the way. And as I get there, I realize other people can see this grumbling. And so I internally said, I've got to do something different. And so I prayed. And God cleared my heart. So I confessed that to you. And hopefully my neighbors are not here. (laughs) So can you do that? Can you invite someone to your house? It's Mother's Day. Do it today. Invite someone over. I know you don't have food in your refrigerator. That's okay. Tell them, I'm inviting you over. You bring the food. (laughs) My house is not clean. No problem. Invite them over. They will help. (laughs) Do it. It's important. And finally, and and the fourth thing that, that Peter challenges us to do is this. Use your gifts 
Verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Every single person in this room has been given a gift, a talent. You've been wired to do something unique. And if you're a believer this morning, that thing has been ordained by God to be used for the glory of him and for other people. You need to use it. You need to find out what it is. And you don't need a test. You don't need anybody from up here helping you discern your spiritual gift. It's there. It's in you. God made you that way. So use it. Peter describes in two categories, if anyone speaks, if anyone serves. I don't think for one moment Peter thinks these are the only two things, nor do I think that one is more important than the other. He's just simply saying, whatever it is you do, do it with God and for God. Let him be the partner. Don't do it alone or out of your own desires. Why? Peter wraps it up by saying, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That's why. I think too often we believe the function of ministry is for people like me or Glenn or Susan or Kim or some professional pastor. But Peter is clearly saying that ministry is for all of us, that each of us is wired to do something significant for God, that we should actively be using our gifts to impact the world. You see, it's through your giftedness that lives are changed. It's out of your love, your hospitality, that people find their way to Jesus. You may find this hard to believe but because I'm such a numbers guy, but I believe the most significant metric of church health is the amount of people equipped and using their gifts. So don't wait for somebody to tell you what it is. Don't wait for somebody to challenge you. Identify the gift and use it. Experiment and find your path. You've heard me say this before, but the biblical model of giftingness is for God to give you something so that you will release it to the world. God never gives us a blessing or a gifted or gift that we should hold on to. It's not for us. It's for others. So use it in that way. This entire passage could read this way. The end is near, so live your life to bring honor and glory to me. I came across a poem recently, and it stuck with me. It's by a woman, St. Teresa of Avila. It says this, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
You are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You see, we are to be the conduit of God's love, God's gifting, God's hospitality to the world. So what are you going to do? Which of these areas are you going to start working on today? Before you file this message away, pray. Pray for God's leading and direction. Pray the most single, most dangerous prayer in the world. God, what would you have me do? In light of what I now know, how should I live? I can almost guarantee you that as I was talking about hospitality, somebody came to mind. God laid a name or a face on your heart. As I was talking about love, I'm sure that someone came to mind that you need to express love to or express forgiveness to. What are you going to do? Don't try to do it all. I'm telling you, I'm letting you off the hook. Don't do it all. Pick one. It's not about guilt. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into doing anything. I'm just telling you that what Scripture is asking us to live our life. So what are you going to do with that? Invite someone to your house. Pray more. Love more. Imagine what this church could be like if at the very center of it was a group of people who prayed more, loved earnestly, showed hospitality to the world, and used our gifts and our talents to make a difference. Imagine what life would be like. Imagine what your marriage would be like your relationships, your workplace, your neighborhood would be like if that was how you lived your life. What are you prepared to do this morning? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your commitment to us. We're grateful that you've given us a plan in which to live. And now, God, as we prepare to leave this place, and we go on our day to celebrate the moms in our lives who have shown great love and great hospitality for us. I ask God that you give us the courage and the strength and the sense of purpose to apply those same truths to the people around us and to the world that you've called us to serve. We love you, and we do all of this in Christ alone. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So that's it in Christ alone it's not about guilt it's not about religion it's about grace it's about relationship when prayer is fervent when love is preeminent and when serving is prominent God is exalted and the world is redeemed Father, as the church leaves the building this morning, give us the courage, the sense of peace and purpose that comes from knowing that we do all things in you and through you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to spend some time with some folks down here who love to pray, 
you need some extra prayer this morning, you come down here. There'll be people waiting for you. Have a great Mother's Day.